0: Some say that in the same way all rivers lead to the same ocean, all religions lead to the same God. It's said that there's 4,000 religions in the world. to have you here today. Thanks for joining us. I want to say a quick hello to all of our campuses. Thanks for being a part of our services today. Let's also give it up for our God Behind Bars guys. We love you. Appreciate you. So thankful to have them as a part of our services and a part of our church. And again, just thanks for being a part of our services today. Pull out your notes if you would. You know, we're continuing with the series talking about you know, do all religions lead to God? And so in that, we study each of the major world religions. And now we're getting to some minor ones, actually. And so what we were going to cover Mormonism and Scientology today. And just to be blunt and honest, it is so much content that I didn't want to extend the service too long. So I'm going to divide that in half. I'm going to do Mormonism today. And then at first Wednesday this week... We're gonna do Scientology, and if you can't make it, we understand. But we're gonna do it this Wednesday. Uh, I'm really excited about that. And if you can't make it, we will have that on the app as well, so you can uh, download that, watch it. And so, but again, so I apologize if you're like, "Oh, I came for Scientology." Sorry about that. But we are. I want to. I'm not trying to do false advertising. I promise. Uh, we're just trying to make sure that we actually get the content covered. Because if I tried to shove both of those in one weekend. Uh, you would be disappointed in both. And so instead of doing that, let's just take a look at Mormonism today. So pull out your notes if you would, and we're going to dive in because I still have a lot of content. I had to still whittle this thing down. Uh, I know you're thinking, man, this is a lot. This is like two or three pages. And well, I started off with four or five or six pages. And so I had to uh, to do what I could to get this down in time. So, But let's talk about this a little bit today. But let's first start our, our mission statement together. We're here to do what? To take as many people to heaven as we can before we die, period. You know, part of that is really knowing what you believe and why you believe it. And it's also important in today's day and age. uh, The question 30 years ago used to be is there a God and is he real? The question today is which God? And so we need to know, why do we believe what we believe, and and, and are we right or wrong, right? And so that's important to know that. And so let's take a look at Mormonism today and what they believe. And because Mormonism has been compared to Christianity a lot, people kind of have a tendency to believe they're one and the same, and they're actually not. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit today. And then I may have a startling answer for you at the end of the series, uh, at the end of today that may surprise you. Uh, about Mormons. and so, But let's just jump right in. So first thing we need to know about how it all began. Mormonism is also known as the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Mormonism was founded by Joseph Smith, who was born in Vermont at age 15 while living in New York. This is They moved to New York. He was troubled about the conflict he was seeing among most churches. Basically, he lived in a town where there was, I think it was a Methodist, Baptist, and a Presbyterian church, and he noticed that none of them got along, which unfortunately still seems to be the case. And so they basically didn't get along that well, and he also noticed that a lot of the church members had fights with the pastors of these churches, and so he thought, this is not functioning well. So even at age 15, he kind of figured that out. So one day he was reading the Bible, and in James it says, if you lack wisdom, ask for it. So he decided to go out into the woods and pray. And so he was sincerely seeking God, And so he goes out into the woods. Smith went into the woods to pray, where he received a vision. Uh, which he, uh, w- where he encountered the Father and the Son. Now this is a question actually later, because his original version of this and I believe it's like 1832 uh, was that he went out and saw Jesus and Jesus talked to him. But then later, he, uh, about five or six years later, he kind of revised the story a little bit to say he met with the Father and the Son, like two different people, in the same uh, meeting in the woods. So it's interesting how th- there's multiple stories. Uh, the son told him not to join any church, for they were all wrong the personage, that's what he called it, the personage who addressed me said that their, all their creeds were an abomination in his sight. That's a direct quote from him. So he basically said, you know, I went and talked to Jesus and he said all these guys were wrong. And then another, another time he said about five or six years later, I went out there and the father was there and so was the son and they both told me uh, that all the churches were wrong. So that's kind of how that goes. Now what's interesting is in studying this, there's actually six versions of this story. So it's kind of like, you know, right at the beginning, I'm not trying to just be insulting here about Mormonism, but I mean, some of this is hard to teach the straight face because it's like, hey, get your story right. Like, which is the story? You know what I mean? And so, honestly, this is kind of, I, I know this sounds a little cutting and negative, and I'm not trying to be that way if you're from a Mormon faith. It's just, if I was a lawyer, this is easy to take apart. Because they have so many different stories. If we were in a court of law, you'd say, get your story straight. You're, you're kind of lacking credibility from the very beginning here because you don't have a, a, an accurate story. Okay, And so you may not agree with Christianity, you may not agree with my faith, but our story hasn't changed in 2,000 years. Yeah. Does that make sense? And so in here we've got a story changing a lot. Okay, so that's a big deal. So Smith claimed that an angel named Moroni... Visited him and told him there was a book written on gold plates giving an account of the former inhabitants of this continent, speaking of America, and the source from whence they sprang. That's a quote. He also said the everlasting gospel was contained in it as delivered by the Savior to the ancient inhabitants. Now he keeps referring to that because they, he actually believed that Israelites moved to America before America was ever discovered. And so, in other words, like pre Indians. Were, were Israelites that were here, okay? We're, we're going to talk about that in a moment. But uh, this revelation also told them that God's people, Israelites, came to America long before it was America. Moroni further informed Smith, uh, the angel, further informed Joseph Smith that the translation device called the seer stone was buried with the gold plates, okay? So Moroni appeared again to Smith. Three times in the same night, once the following day, and annually for the next four years. The angel had warned him that he was not yet spiritually immature enough to take custody of the gold plates, but one day he would. So he basically said, hey, I got this original uh, version of the gospel that actually supersedes all the other gospels, and uh, I have it, and one day I'm going to show you, but not yet because you're not spiritual enough. Okay, so that's kind of how that went. Uh, Smith was told that when he was finally permitted to achieve the plates, he must not reveal them to anyone except those to whom Moroni commanded or he would be killed. Now in 1827, a few years later, nine months after Smith had married Emma Hale, Moroni allowed him, this angel allowed him to retrieve the plates with a charge to keep them safe until the angel should call for them. Smith translated the plates from Reformed Egyptian into English. Now I just have to stop here. There is no Israelite uh, text that's Reformed Egyptian. There is also no story of the gospel from Israel that's Reformed Egyptian. So, Honestly, it, it's just I'm just going to be blunt. If there, if there had been Wikipedia back then, they would have tore this guy apart from day one. and been like, are you kidding me? Like, seriously, wh- where is Reformed Egyptian in anything here? And so it's just, that's what he said. That was a story, and apparently he stuck to it. So after the translation was complete, the golden plates were removed by Moroni and are to this day unavailable for inspection, which means there's no outside evidence. Again, remember I told you about this, that all these other religions are like, oh, I went and talked to this angel, or God spoke to me. Like, anyone else there see it? No. So we're just going to go completely on your word. Yep. Okay. And so that's almost every world religion that's built like this, except for our faith has witness after witness who saw the same thing. And again, it just to me, that strengthens my faith. Does that make sense? And so I, I just that strengthens my faith. Okay. So this is how we get the original Book of Mormon published in 1830. Now, Mormons will tell you they believe the Bible. And they do believe the Bible. They just believe what I would say most of it. But they have some pretty... Funny things that they do to the Bible. We're going to talk about that in a minute because I think it's important to know how you study your Bible. Because how they study the Bible and how we study the Bible, very, very different. Okay? But they will tell you, oh, I believe in Jesus. Absolutely. I've asked Jesus to be my Savior. And honestly, I don't doubt that. I'm sure they have. But when you say, tell me what Savior means, it's very different than you and I see Savior. We say, oh, so you're going to go to heaven. They say, well, no, not so fast. No, that means I can be resurrected. That doesn't mean I'm going to heaven. So that's where they're going to use all this language, but most people on the outer skirts of Mormonism, it all sounds the same. I mean, it really doesn't. If you just ask the average Mormon about their faith, they're going to sound like a Christian in so many ways. They're going to talk about Jesus and receiving Christ and worshiping him. They're even going to use a lot of our, our same worship music. I mean, so you would just think, just, I, I guess they're just like me. And so until you dig down deeper into it to realize that, frankly, and I'll be honest, I think the average Mormon doesn't even know the stuff I'm talking about. I think the average Mormon's just like yeah. I think the average Mormon in America is like the average voter in America. They just go off what they're fed and they don't actually do their own research. Does that make sense? I'm going to stop my comments right there. But, but you you see what I'm saying. So I think the average Mormon's like yeah, man, we're we're cool, and they don't even think there's a difference. Okay. So let me keep going. Okay. So now let's talk about the Book of Mormon. Now you know how they how uh, how it all came about. So here is how he actually translated the Book of Mormon, and I'm going to try to say this a straight face. Here we go. Joseph Smith would put his head in a hat until there was total darkness with the seer stone. So There's some kind of stone that was like the translator. He put the stone in there, and this is what he told everyone. And he, he put himself, his head in a hat, and he looked real close at the stone, okay? Then a letter would appear. Then when the letter appeared, he would then ask Oliver Cowdery, his scribe, to write it down. So he didn't actually write it. He had a scribe with him, and he put his head in the hat, and he'd be like, Okay, I see a B. Write down a B. Put you in the head. Did you write down a B? Okay, good. Okay, now I see an E, write down an E. And so this is literally how he tells everyone that it was, it was translated, okay? And actually, he said he saw the letter in its language and in the, the translation below it. So that's, that's one amazing stone, right? So you, so you saw it in the original Egyptian, right? And then it was translated for him. Oh, that's an A or that's a B or that's a C, which, again, I, yeah, I'm trying to be nice. But we don't have the same letters, it translate like that. So again, that you see issues all over this, okay? But let's get the benefit of the doubt. Thus, the Book of Mormon was translated by the gift and power of God and not by any power of man. That's a quote from him, okay? Although there are conflicting reports, three people supposedly saw the original gold plates, but later this is proven false because the only, they only saw them covered by a cloth. And the one guy who said, no, I saw it, they asked him about how he saw it, and he said, I saw it with my eyes of faith. So in other words, no one physically saw these gold plates, That supposedly had this message. Again, like I said last week, you go back to this, I have this gold plates from God. Can I see him? No. Why? Because I'll be killed if you see him. Okay, well, come on, man. Give me a break. Can I see him? No. Do you want me to be killed? I mean, you see how this is very protective and it's like it all comes down to one guy and we have to go off his word. And that's kind of where the hang-up happens, okay? And so um, also the guy who said he saw it with the spiritualized of faith later left the church, claimed another church was a true church, eventually came back. So it's like, you know, I mean, we're slacking credibility in a lot of areas here. Okay, the Mormon church founding, here's how it began. So it first started with this book. And then the one true church, is what they called it, was organized on April 6, 1830 by Smith and five others in Fayette, New York. Now, let me tell you why this is a problem, because America was founded high, uh, with, with, with a high level of religion, which means the average person was a theist at the least, but most people were Christian. And they came here, and I don't need to go into all of America's history, but most of you, hopefully you know this. Unfortunately, our schools a lot of times are not teaching this anymore, but people left uh, you know, to come to America because they wanted the freedom to worship the way they wanted to worship, right? So, So people take take their faith in God very seriously, especially at the outset of America. And so here is Smith coming along, and this wasn't you know, too, I mean, it was you know, a long time since the birth of America. America was very, very religious for a long time. It's not only in the last 50 years that people started saying America is not a Christian nation, which is crazy because we are. But at the end of the day, what, what happened was he started just touting all this stuff, and people of faith in other, church, other churches around him got really angry. And it got so bad it got violent. I mean, they were, they were, they were literally getting in fights. In the streets over this okay so that's that's you know one of the reasons why the mormon church moved a lot early on because they had to because they kept getting ran out of town the one True church was organized in fayette new york okay at the founding meeting smith received a revelation from god that he was to be a seer a translator a prophet and an apostle As the church grew, so did public opposition, forcing the Mormons to move on to Ohio. Then on, I forgot this one, they also went to Missouri, where it got so bad it got violent they ran out of town. Then they ended up in Illinois, okay? Um, And they actually started their own town in Illinois called Nauvoo, Illinois. At one point, it was the largest town in Illinois. Kind of interesting to know that. Eventually, the opposition did grow very violent. Now, here's why the opposition grew violent. Polygamy, okay? Uh, Smith had between 28 and 84 wives. I kid you not. It's a busy guy. Okay, the youngest being 14 years old. Again, you kind of had that same deal to where, you know, now, now to be fair to the whole 14-year-old thing, there were a lot of people that got married at 14 back then. Okay, just to be fair, because I know we think that is just disgusting and I can't believe, you know, and I would agree with you, but you need to understand it from a cultural perspective. Schooling, you were done with school by the time you were 10 and, you know, by the time you're 11, 12, 13, hormones are kicking in, and the farmer's daughter, you know, three houses down is really cute, and let's get married, and you're married at 14, 15 years old. So that actually was not uncommon, so I'm not trying to make light of this, but that was the truth. Now, what's the bigger issue, even though that's an issue to me too, because I'm a father of a 14-year-old girl, and there's no way she's getting married, I can promise you that. Okay, and for a long time, yeah, amen to that. So, or else your, your pastor's going to commit, you know, murder. Anyways. <laughs> The point I'm trying to say is, is that that's not going to happen under my watch, and I get that. But, but you know, from their day, this wasn't just Mormons that were getting married young. It was a, a lot of people, okay? But they weren't marrying multiple people. That was the deal, okay? His first wife, his first and true wife, as he called her, was Emma. Uh, she was deeply hurt and angered about it all that, she, that he wanted to keep marrying these other, other women. Joseph, however, had a word from the Lord for Emma to the effect that the Lord would kill her if she did not submit and cleave unto Joseph. You know, that would not work in my home. I'm pretty sure I would be the one getting killed. How many men know what I'm talking about, right? Okay. So anyways, but that's what he told her. Joseph and his brother Hiram uh, were both thrown in jail for polygamy when on June 27th, a mob stormed the, stormed the jail. This is true. This is crazy. Uh, killing Joseph and Hiram. So this mob was so angry with him over this polygamy stuff and all the crazy teachings. They they stormed the jail and a huge shootout happened, like straight up old West style, and he was killed. And so that's how he he died basically in a... Fiery blast, uh, and, and that's how he died. Uh, the next leader was Brigham Young. He was like a high-ranking guy right below these two guys, these two brothers. So Brigham Young moved the Mormon Church to Salt Lake City, Utah, in 1847. Obviously, they have a university there named Brigham Young as well. Uh, due to public pressure, polygamy officially ended in the Mormon Church in 1890, officially. But it still goes on today, which you know. But to be fair, again, I want to be fair. There are a lot of things that. Christian crazies do in the name of God, too, that I would also not agree with. Okay, so just to be fair, you know, they did their the right thing and said, we're not doing this anymore, but it still goes on, just like there are Christians, unfortunately, who, you know, have used the name of God to do all kinds of sick stuff, too. So, just to be fair, okay, so that happens as well. But I want to mention a couple of things. In recent years, the Mormon church has softened their stance on being the one true church, and so one of the big criticisms of the Mormon church have been other church leaders other denominations saying you know what we have a real issue with you saying you're the one your church like somehow we're not and so they have softened that stance so if you if you ever find yourself in a debate or an argument or a discussion with a mormon they're going to say oh we don't believe all that anymore the problem with that is that's how their whole church was founded and so it's like so you're saying you don't believe in the foundation then of how your your church got here i mean that's a big deal and so that's why it, it's a, it's an issue so there are four books that the mormons consider to be um, what we would call holy, uh, what we would call our scripture—the Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price—which, by the way, was was a combination of multiple of his latter books that Joseph Smith had written. One, by the way, was called Joseph Smith the History, um, and uh, also he translated in this book, the Pearl of Great Price, uh, which is like multiple books into one. Uh, it was a translation of, of the Book of Matthew, how he saw it, and also the Book of Moses, which was totally created by him. And so, but what's Frustrating about this is that he says this book, the, the original Book of Mormon, was written before the King James Version. This is what he tells us, before it, was, before it was all compiled together. The problem was, is when you read part of the Book of Mormon, it's an exact copy of the King James Version, but it was supposed to be beforehand. So it's like, um, I mean, I don't know how to say this nicely other than just to say it. If Google had existed when he was doing this, he would have been discredited day one and had no followers. They'd have been like, no, dude, you didn't write this. This is a completely ripoff from... The King James Version of the Bible. And so, and also, by the way, his, his writing was a ripoff of other known preachers as well. So that was kind of the deal with that. So, but those were, in the, and they also believe the Bible. So here's what they have to say about all that. While Mormons acknowledge that the original manuscripts penned by biblical scholars were the Word of God, they believe that what, uh, what passes as the Bible today is corrupt. Does that sound familiar? Right? And so that's also familiar, of course, in Islam as well. Uh, And so it it can only be trusted insofar as it is translated correctly. And of course, the ultimate translation, of course, has to come from them. So that's the other issue. So Smith even added a passage in Genesis 50 that predicted his own coming, and I'm going to quote it to you. He said, "That seer will I bless, and his name shall be called Joseph." <laughs> that's completely just kind of thrown in. So it's like, okay. Uh, so that's kind of what he believes. So let me stop real, real quick with that. We're going to get into the theology of what Mormons believe, but before we do that, I want to stop and challenge you guys to be here next weekend. I know it's Super Bowl weekend, but we have got a great, great message next weekend. It's based upon the TV commercials of the Super Bowl past and present. They're some of the funniest, most compelling, most creative commercials. It's the most expensive airtime in the world. It's the most expensive advertising in the world. And so we're going to take some of those commercials and talk about them and basically unpack some, some good theology off of some really funny commercials. And so you're not going to want to miss next week. Check out this video. I've always preferred the cream part of an Oreo. That's crazy. The cookie's the best part. Cream. Cookie. Cream. Cookie. 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 I'm calling the cops. Call you guys have to stop fighting. We're the cops. You're gonna have a great time. Don't miss the series. No, don't miss this message. It's gonna be fun. And pull out this card. Would you do that real quick? You, everyone you should have one of these. I want to challenge you to invite someone, bring in them to church. It's a great opportunity to get someone to come to church with you. It's a lot of fun. I promise you, if you didn't come last year, you're you're gonna say, Wow, I've never been to a church service like that. That was really cool. And so be sure to be here this next weekend, Super Bowl weekend. It's going to be a lot of fun. In fact, right now, if you would on this card, if someone just comes to mind that you think, man, I know exactly what I need to bring, just write their name on the card and give this to them this week. Would you do that? So this is a tool for you. At all of our campuses, we're giving you these. Make sure you take this card and put it in someone's hand. Say, man, you got to come to church him this weekend. And uh, it's way in advance of the game. No one's going to miss the game. And so there is so much commentary all day long. It's the same stuff over and over again. So trust me, you're, you'll have plenty of time, okay? And so we'll have Saturday night services, Sunday morning as well. The only thing that will be canceled next weekend will be Sunday night for obvious reasons, so you can watch the actual Super Bowl. But I want to encourage you to be a part of this and invite someone back to join you for 30-second theology. Okay, speaking of theology, let's jump back into the notes. Let's talk about Mormon theology. Here is where the inner workings of their faith just doesn't make sense uh, to, to, to really anything, but let's just unpack it. So here we go. Mormons teach that God was originally a man. "...who lived right and eventually was exalted to become God, and that all men can become exalted through right living to eventually become gods too." It is even taught that we can become gods and then have our own planets full of people. So like all of us on earth worship God, and they think God was just a guy that he, did, he lived so well, he eventually just became a god... And that's why we worship him. And so when we, if we continue to live right, do the right thing, don't, have, you know, don't, don't drink caffeine, you know, don't go to dances, don't, or whatever the rules. I don't even know all the rules, but there's a bunch of them. Uh, and and you know, don't do this, don't do that. Be a good member of the Mormon church. Make sure you tithe. Make sure you, you know, do this, and make sure you're nice to people. All those things that you're supposed to do. And they have this huge list of, of things you're supposed to do. If you do all that... Then when you die, you get to go to this next level, talk more about that in a minute, but eventually you can become a god, and if you're really, really spiritual, when you become a god, you can have your own planet, and then everyone worships you. They they teach this. Now, here's the thing. A lot of Mormons are going to look at you and say, we do not believe that, and you probably don't on the outer edges of Mormonism, but if you go to a Mormon seminary, if you raise in the ranks of Mormonism, eventually they go, shh, come here, this is what really happens. So in the inner core of Mormonism, it's nothing like our faith. But you don't know that when you're told to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're thinking, oh, it's just like Christianity. But no, because God was never a man, and we don't become a God. Does that make sense? And so that's where the teaching really kind of comes off the rails. Okay, so they also believe Jesus Christ is God's great, greatest spirit son, but that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are three separate gods rather than one. In other words, they do not believe in the Trinity, which is what we believe as Christians, that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are one and three distinct persons, but actually they're one, okay? Mormons also believe that God in a man's body had sex with Mary to produce Jesus. I, I don't even like saying that, it just even sounds so wrong, but they actually believe that and they teach that, Okay. Mormons believe that grace also, you know, we believe that your salvation is by grace alone. They believe in grace, but here's their version of grace. Because if you say, man, you believe in grace, oh, absolutely, God's full of grace, and he will give you his grace. And so you, if you're like me, you're like, wow, we're like the same. That sounds exactly like what I believe. But then when you dig further, this is what they mean by that. Mormons believe that grace aids people as they seek personal, uh, by personal effort to attain perfection. But God's grace alone does not save us, but does allow us to resurrect, resurrect to the next life. So it helps advance you to the next life, but you're still not in heaven yet. Okay, So that's the difference between our faith and, and their faith. Okay, Mormons believe in the doctrine of eternal progression. Eternal progression teaches this. Simply put, you start off as a pre-human soul... That gets a body eventually. That's how you get born. And here's what's funny. Apparently, when we're pre-humans, if you got a body and were born, congratulations, you did something right as a pre-human to even get this far. So, like, you're doing good because you got a body. That's what. That's kind of what they believe. So, Okay? Uh, with the choice to get saved and have the capacity to resurrect, that's what they mean by that, then you keep getting better through personal efforts, right living and attending Mormon church, to eventually die and end up in one of two places. Mormons go to a place called paradise. Non-Mormons go to to a spirit prison, where Mormon spirits evangelize you, and hopefully you get saved and you get to move on to paradise. So it's not all all hope is not lost for you there if you're in spirit prison. Uh, People can pray for you, and these spirits come, and they evangelize you, and hopefully you finally get it right, and then you get to leave spirit prison and go on to paradise, okay? Now, there are three different kingdoms they believe in, um, and, and this stuff is just where I'm like, wow, some of this is based upon what they would say, their interpretation of the Bible, which I don't have time to go into the whole thing, but it's not interpreting it correctly at all. Uh, And and then the the third part of their their celestial levels or whatever is just completely made up. I'm like, there's not even a verse that remotely comes close to that. So here they are. The celestial kingdom, this is for good Mormons. And so these are like people that toe the line and, you know, do all the things that they're told to do. Uh, Then the terrestrial kingdom, these are bad Mormons or non-Mormons. So if you're like a Mormon loosely, but, you know, you're a Mormon, but I smoke. I'm a Mormon, but I sleep around. I'm more, in other words, like, you're, just, you're not really following all the rules, but you did grow up in the Mormon home. Then you go to, like, the less level, which is the, the terrestrial kingdom, okay, in the hopes that kind of that you'll be evangelized and get your life straight, and then you get to jump up to the next level, okay? And then there's a celestial kingdom, which you go to outer darkness first, but eventually it's possible to move up to the celestial level. This is kind of their version of hell, And then hopefully you get evangelized there and move up kind of thing. So that's kind of how that works. I don't know if they evangelize and move up from there. I think they may be stuck in that one. I'm not sure. I'll find it out. I'll dig. Uh, But anyways, but they have three different levels, and that's kind of how that works. Okay, so Book of Mormon problems. Here's just some basic problems of the Book of Mormon. Another problem is that the massive examples of plagiarism throughout the Book of Mormon from the King James Version of the Bible that was supposed to have been written after the Book of Mormon, as well as other spiritual books from contemporary preachers during Joseph Smith's lifetime also let me get down let's drill down into some of these according to mormon scriptures the nephite and lamanite nations had huge populations that lived in large fortified cities and by the way these were in america this apparently was like hundreds hundreds years ago before america was discovered by columbus and all that before the before the indians and everything else Apparently, Israelites lived here. Who knew? Okay? And so, and apparently, there's a two, group called, two groups called the Nephites and the Lamanites. They allegedly waged large scale wars with each other for hundreds of years, culminating in a conflict in which hundreds of thousands of people were killed in AD 385 near Hill Cumorah, happened to be close to Joseph's home. Okay? Uh, as a kid. And this is in, in the Book of Mormon 6, verses 9 through 15. There is no, here's the problem. There's absolutely no archaeological evidence to back up this claim. It's just not there. To where all the claims of the Bible. We've dug around all over Israel, and there's all kinds of archaeological claims that prove it. To where there's none, that, not even one. I mean, we're not talking about hundreds of, of people die. Where are all these bones? Where are all, where's all the evidence of this? Where's all these weaponry from this massive warfare that happened? There, there's just there's not, there's none of it. It's just not there. In fact, the Bureau of American Ethnology asserted there was no evidence whatsoever, whatever, in any migration from Israel to America, and likewise no evidence that pre-Columbian Indians had any knowledge of Christianity or the Bible. It's just simply not there. And so all I can tell you is that, and again, what I'm going to say next is really going to offend you if you're Mormon, and I'm sorry, but by all means, please prove me wrong if you don't, don't agree with this. Guys, at the end of the day, I believe Joseph Smith made all this stuff up. There's just no evidence of it. There's just simply no evidence. It's just, I mean, it, it's hard for me to read all this to you with a straight face, because there's just no backing of all this. And everything comes down to his one opinion and what he says and what he believes. And you're talking about a guy who has 80-something lives. I'm sorry, I just don't, I'm not buying this. I mean, you can learn a lot about a religion by its founder. Think about our founder, Jesus. Amen. Real deal. You know, where's all the dirt on Jesus? There is none. Because he's the real deal. Because he really did the things he said he did. Okay, so here is why there's a problem with Mormonism versus Christianity when it comes to the the text of the Bible and the way Joseph Smith interpreted it. Here it is, okay? This is something I learned in seminary, and it's real basic, but this is a big deal, and if you're going to study the Word of God, it's important that you know this, okay? So there's exegesis and eisegesis. These are two ways to study the Bible. Exegesis is what I do every single day, and here it is, drawing the meaning from the text of scriptures. That's called exegesis. What does it say? What does that mean for me? That's what we're supposed to do. The problem is, and Christians can do this too, is when we do what's called eisegesis. Eisegesis is when you read a meaning into the text of Scripture because you want it to believe that, but that's not what it says. you got to take the Scripture as it says it and not as you want it to say it. Make sense? Let me give you an extreme case of, a, of, a, of eisegesis, which I've heard Christians literally tell me to my face, and I'm thinking, are you kidding me? The guy who tells me, man, God's a God of love. The Bible says I'm like, yep, I'm with you so far, and God wants me to be happy. Yep, the Bible says that, and I'm not going to be happy unless I leave my wife and marry my secretary. That's where we have a problem. That's called eisegesis. You just read something in the text that's not there. But what is there is it says thou shalt not commit adultery. Does it make sense? So that's obviously a, a pretty easy example, but that's eisegesis versus exegesis. Okay? And so that's where we have the problem. So let me give you some some another example here. The two sticks found in Ezekiel 37, 16 through 17 referred not to the Bible uh, uh, in the Book of Mormon, but to the unification of the Southern Kingdom, which is Judah, because if you study Israel's history, they split at one point. Okay, Lord told them they were going to do that uh, because of their sin, and they went to a, a, a Northern Kingdom and a Southern Kingdom, and uh, it refers in Ezekiel 37 to the unification of the Southern Kingdom of Judah and the Northern Kingdom of Israel into a single nation. There is no reference in the Bible to the Book of Mormon. They actually say, "Oh no, those two sticks—that's the Bible and the Book of Mormon," but there's just no text for that there's just there's i mean you're 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 making stuff you're making it work you're you're doing what i call theological gymnastics twisting the bible every way you can to somehow make it work and it just doesn't say that okay and so that's what's going on with that so now let's talk about christianity here's three simple points i want to make based upon this the first thing is this god was never a man he's always been god god was never a man he's always been god Hosea 11:9, we find god himself affirming i am god and not man Numbers twenty three nineteen tells us that God is not a man, that he should lie, nor a son of a man, nor that he should change his mind. Scripture is also clear that Jesus was not the spirit brother of Lucifer, as Mormons teach. They actually teach that. Colossians 1, 16 informs us that the entire angelic realm, including the angel Lucifer, was personally created by Jesus Christ himself. We know in John it actually says the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. That's a friend of Jesus. And so Jesus was actually, I don't know if you realize this, but when God created the world, Jesus was there. Because Jesus is God. They're all one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're all one. He was there, and so he was not created. God did not have sex with Mary and give birth to Jesus. That is completely made up. Even the text itself says that the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. There was no sex involved. She was a virgin, which is what it says really clearly. And Jesus was instead God's Son brought through the Holy Spirit to the earth. Does that make sense? And so that's what the Bible clearly teaches. Okay, number two, we stick to the Word of God and do not add or take away from it. Deuteronomy 4 verse 2 says this Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. In fact, Revelation, you read Revelation chapter 22, verse 19, it says, If you take something away from this, there's going to be all kinds of consequences. So you're not supposed to remove anything of Scripture, add to it, or take anything from it. It's a very big deal. And then number three, and this is probably the most controversial thing I'm going to say all day, okay? But hear me when I say this. Do not misquote me when when I tell you this, okay? But listen to this Can a Mormon become a Christian? I actually believe that many Mormons are Christians. Before you get mad at me, let me tell you what I mean by that. Okay? Just like I believe we're gonna go to heaven, there's gonna be Islamic people that are in heaven. And there's gonna be some Buddhists that are in heaven because they will tell their families that they're Islamic. They'll tell their families that they're Buddhists, because I don't want mom and dad mad at me. I'm certainly gonna get killed. But then maybe some point in time in the temple, they're worshiping in the way they worship in Islam. They're worshiping in the way they worship in Buddhism. And something in them is going, this is not right. This just doesn't feel right. There's just, this stuff is made up. And at some point they go, but you know that missionary, you know, growing up in Iraq? They were always nice to me. And they didn't threaten to cut my hand off when I stole. They were sweet. And I just think they're sincere. And maybe Jesus is real. And then maybe at one point when everyone's bowing their head praying to Allah, they just closed their eyes and said, Jesus, if you're real, would you come in my heart? Boom. God's grace is so good in that moment, you're going to be in heaven. Yeah. Does that make sense? So so I'm not saying that all the doctrine of Mormonism line up with Christianity. No, I'm clearly saying they don't. But thank God and his grace, there's a whole group of people that probably are Mormons that don't even know about all this stuff, that just were told, Jesus loves you and he wants to save you and you should ask him in your heart. And they did, not realizing all the stuff that they add to that. And they just said, Jesus, in, in simple faith, not even knowing the other stuff, Jesus, would you come to my heart? And boom, he did. Does that make sense? Because here's what the word of God says. It says in Romans 10:13, anyone, not anyone who is in the Christian church, not anyone who's never been around Muslims or claimed that. Not anyone who's, who's never been. In other words, anyone, don't care what stripe you have on you, don't care what your background is, don't care how much you don't know or do know, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, Jesus, will be saved, period, end of story. You're going to be in heaven. Make sense? You see, grace is grace. You don't do anything to earn it. You don't do anything to mess it up. And if at any moment, in in, in just a small fraction of a moment, you actually have a thought—a fleeting, by God's grace, thought of maybe Jesus is real and maybe I need Him—and just just this once, I'm going to actually just go for it, Jesus. If You're really there, just come in my heart. Boom! Your eternity was secure that moment, that millisecond had happened. Thank You, Jesus. Your grace is so good. If I'll do that, I'll receive you. Well, I'm personally offended that they're not living their life right. Well, you can be offended all you want, but you can tell them that when they're in heaven with you. <laughs> because our theology, the Bible clearly teaches anyone, not anyone who's good, anyone who leaves this lifestyle, anyone who gets it straight, anyone, anyone who asks Jesus in their heart. Don't care who you sleep with. Don't care whether you sleep with anyone or not. Whether you sleep with 80 wives or not. I don't care whether, whether you believe this way or that way. I don't care about any of that stuff. You murdered 3,000 people personally. Did you ask Jesus Christ in your heart? See in heaven. I know that's so radical, but that's the point of our faith, is that we didn't do anything by our efforts. It's what Jesus did for us. It is completely about Jesus and simply receiving him. And I don't care what label you got on you. If you will simply receive Jesus you're going to heaven. It's that simple. Now, I hope you follow through with living right and honoring the Lord and stepping into his word and realizing what theology is wrong. And all. But even if you don't get to that point, I mean, the guy was hanging on the cross next to Jesus on the cross. He says, Lord, remember me in your kingdom. Did he have time to work anything out? Did he have time to get his theology right? Did he have time to discard some jacked up belief that he probably came from? Did he have time for any of that? No. Jesus, just, just remember me in your kingdom. He turns back and he says, see in a couple hours. And he dies, and he goes to heaven. That's how amazing our faith is. It's completely about simply receiving him. And if you'll do that, you're in. You're in. This is why the gospel is so powerful, because it's so simple and so real, and it doesn't require our efforts Now, I hope you live for the Lord because it's a good witness at that point. But even if you don't, the good news is even if you blew it all week long, you didn't lose your salvation. If you got Jesus in your heart, He's there. You can't mess that up. Thank God, right? We can't mess it up because we didn't earn it. It was earned on our behalf by Jesus. We just simply received what He did for us. So can a Mormon be saved? Sure, so can a Muslim. In fact, I know because I happen to have witnessed a Muslim that came to our church that got saved. So I know that they can go to heaven just accept Jesus. He was still a part of a family that would claim that they were Muslim. And because he loved his mom and his dad and his brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and cousins, he didn't want to hurt their feelings. But he had a true faith in Jesus. Does that make sense? And the push comes to shove, he would have said, yeah, I, I did that. I, I asked Jesus in my heart, and I have a relationship with Jesus. Did he have everything worked out perfectly? Probably not. But he got one thing right. And that one thing he got right was all that's required. That's what's so amazing about our faith. That's why I'm always just begging you, please bring someone to church. Please bring someone to church. Please bring, oh, but you don't know how crazy. There's no way they're going to accept Jesus. They, they, might tell, they may not tell you they're going to, but you don't know when their head was bowed if they did. They may say, Jesus come to my heart. And when they looked up, you look over, what are you looking at? I didn't do nothing but you never know they may receive Jesus. Now let me, let me say one last thing and we'll wrap it up. There's gonna be a whole lot of Baptists and Methodists and Catholics, I'm sorry. There's gonna be a whole lot of people who claim, you name the branch, charismatic, Presbyterian, Episcopal, there's gonna be a lot of Christians that don't go to heaven. And the reason why is because they thought Christianity meant they were a member of a church. They thought it meant they were a good person. They thought it meant that you vote Republican or Democrat. They thought it meant that you're just an American. They thought it meant that you're loving and give the united way. They thought it meant that you give to the poor. They thought it meant all the things it doesn't mean. They didn't realize that to be a Christian is as simple as asking Jesus in your heart. Don't be one of those people. Make sure you ask Jesus in your heart. And once you do it, you're in. It's that simple. Would you bow your heads with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't mean to rock your world. I just want to tell you the truth. I just feel like you deserve that. I feel like you deserve the truth here. Otherwise, we're spinning our wheels. This is not about our efforts. It's not about whether we got our theology right. It's not about whether we got it all figured out. It's about whether we just figured out one thing. We need Jesus and we ask him in our heart. So let me just ask you right now, have you done that? Have you asked Jesus Christ in your heart? I didn't ask you what what church membership you have or whether you believe this or that. I'm I'm not worried about any of that stuff. We can argue over that later. That's not the point. The point is I want to make sure you go to heaven. I want to make sure you're really saved. And the only way to really be saved is to follow what God's word says. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And whose, whose name is it? That name is Jesus. So with your head bowed and your eyes closed, you can receive Jesus right now and know for a fact that you're going to heaven. Oh, but pastor, I come from a different religion. My family would freak out. Well, then you know what? I'll let you determine when you tell them. Let's just not miss heaven right now. This is between you and the Lord. So right now, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, just receive Jesus right now. You can pray this simple prayer. We're going to say it out loud together. You can say, Dear Jesus, I call upon your name. I believe you died for me. You paid the price for my sins, and you rose again. And I invite you to come into my heart, be my Lord, and be my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. I look forward to seeing you in heaven until then I'll follow you in Jesus name amen and God good his word is so true